Luke 15, I want to remind you to bring your Bibles with you to church. How is that for a very pastor thing to say? Amen. Now, the pastors have always said that, but we do get used to just bringing our phones or... I love having my Bible, in fact, a whole study library with me on my phone. There's a great app called the Blue Letter Bible, BLB. You can download that. But I think it is also really helpful to have an analog Bible. Do you know what that is? It's called paper. Printed. There's something about holding it finding your place in it. I know in my Bible the exact page. If I, if I want something, I say, I need to know that. I just, you know, you get familiar with your Bible instead of just doing a Google search. You know, Google is not this Christian search tool. It's helpful. But bring a paper Bible, a printed Bible, and also a notepad to take notes. It helps your brain. It helps your brain. It's not just which do you prefer. It is good for learning to read it, to write it, to share it. And the whole point of this is to retain it. To retain it. Did you hear what I just said? To retain it. Read it, write it, share it. Those three things will help you help you remember it, and then it becomes part of you rather than what was that scripture Pastor Terry read a few weeks ago when he told me to write it down? It becomes part of who we are, and that is so, so important. Well, today we're in Luke 15. We're going to read through this whole chapter. It all flows together beautifully. Three stories about things that were lost, that were found, and the rejoicing. Title of my message is Rejoicing in Heaven. How many of you are prone to losing things? Children, money, your car keys. I was at the post office once many years ago, mailing out a bunch of invitations for a church event when I was pastoring Calvary Chapel, Portland, and we had addresses for the, all the houses around our church, 256 houses, a nice, this is before everything was just, you know, Facebook promotion. Yeah, I'm that old. Um, and targeting these houses, I'm putting stamps on 256 of these invitations at this side table at the post office, and a woman standing next to me doing her little project suddenly panics and says, I can't find my phone. Would you call me? So she tells me her phone number. I punch it in my phone. I call her. And you know what happens? What starts ringing? Her phone. But where is it? It's in her purse. Now, if my wife ever says to me, would you grab this for me? It's in my purse. I'm going, I don't, uh-uh. I can't, I can't find anything in there. So her phone is ringing. 
her purse is ringing. I, I just hung up. I go, well, okay, there it is. She laughed. And I went back, turned back around, and I'm putting stamps on all these invitations. And about a minute later, my phone rings. I pick it up. I recognize the number. Whose phone number was it? The lady. I turned around. She is calling the phone call she missed. (laughs) This really happened. Just so I could have this amazing sermon illustration. So she lost her phone. It was with her. And then she even looked more foolish by calling me back. I said, you're calling me. (laughs) How funny. We all lose things. We all hate to lose things. We lose things and scour the house for them. Or maybe you just go, well, whatever, It'll, it'll turn up. You'll find it at some point. But three parables in Luke 15 about valuable things that were lost, that needed to be found, and all of these illustrate us. The fact that we are lost at one point and that God is searching for us, looking for us, and how valuable you are to God. Do you know you're valuable to God? Extremely valuable to God. That phrase, I was thinking about that phrase, are you lost or are you saved? God is looking. Those those are Christian phrases, and I, I had this picture of visitors coming to church today who are not, you know, familiar with church language, maybe they're not Christians, and here a preacher stands up and says, are you lost? They're going, well, maybe I am. I don't mean to be here. Let me get out of here. Lost in this biblical language means we're outside of the family of God. We may not even know that we're supposed to be part of the family of God. We're born into this life. We've made a life. We know that there's hardship. And we suddenly discover that God is offering, inviting for us to be part of the family of God. And we didn't even know that was the answer. I've seen those stories and the news stories about about siblings who suddenly discovered that they were adopted and that they even, you know, then have another family somewhere else and even siblings, even though life was okay. And it's easy to go through this life with life being okay. And we discover that God is looking for us and he invites us to be part of the family of God. To set these three stories up, the first two verses of Luke 15 reads that all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
This strong reaction is building against and for Jesus. The sinners are drawing near and the religious people are becoming increasingly hostile. They've labeled him as the one who eats with sinners. Has anybody ever accused you of that? I've had people accuse me of that. I saw you associating with that person. Well, of course, I'm a pastor. They need to know about the Lord. Why wouldn't I associate with them? The Pharisees would have us to think that God would have nothing to do with sinners. It's funny how religion can warp your mind. We have to be careful that we don't fall into that trap. But so we have, I love how the Bible, God has given us the Pharisees to know what religion looks like so we can avoid it. They think they are so superior to bad people and that God obviously thinks of those bad people like they think. God would have nothing to do with sinners and that they are too good to associate with those people. And in fact, the Jews by culture already believe just being born Jewish, they are already in a right relationship with God. They don't see themselves as needing to be forgiven of sins and brought into the family of God. Now, a lot of people growing up in religion think that about themselves. Well, I grew up in this religion, therefore I'm automatically in a right position with God. But the Bible says that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And of course, if Jesus actually was from God, then he would think about sinners the way they do. One of the things I love about Bible study is just digging a little deeper below the surface of these things. Nobody likes to be called a sinner, do they? Especially a a newbie to church. They come looking for answers and the preacher says, you're a sinner. Way to offend people. Let me explain the word sin. It's not an accusation. It's an explanation. And by that, I mean that everyone is asking, why is life so hard? Why do I keep trying to find answers, trying to do what is right, and I fall short? Sin is an archery term that means to miss the mark or to fall short. The archer knows what the target is. He has taken aim on the target. He has taken his best shot and his arrow sins. It misses the mark. Let me tell you over and over again, I have tried to do what is right and I miss the mark. Amen? So when the Bible says in Romans that all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God, that's all it's saying. 
God is not harshly pointing the finger at you and saying, you have sinned and I'm going to crush you. He's saying, let me help you understand why you keep trying to do what's right and you fall, fall short. Every one of us, it doesn't matter the nationality, the economic status, the gender, go on through the list of the way that we make distinctions in life. Every person is the same before God. It's fascinating to travel, and I've been a lot of places around the world. India was one of the the most interesting places I've been because they still think in that caste system. You're born into a caste system where you're at the lowest, you're in the highest, you know, special, and it's like your life is set out before you. And you're just supposed to accept whatever place in life, whatever caste you were born into. And... 20 plus years ago, one of the castes in India called the Dalits. You ever heard of the Dalits in India? They are among the lowest slave caste of people in India. It was their job to clean out the sewers, the cesspools. And if you are born into that caste, you're supposed to just accept it. That's the word dharma. Have you ever heard the word dharma? Uh, and you're, you're respected if you can just accept it. But the leaders of that group of people, something happened and they just one day thought, if the gods we worship really are gods, then why, why aren't our lives better than they are? Why are we constantly locked into this lowest caste of suffering and even not just their position in life, but they would talk about the internal emptiness in their hearts. Why can't we ever find peace in this place that we've been cast? And the leaders of the Dalits kind of put out the word, if somebody of another religion can help us, then we will convert to your religion. Well, they tried several other religions other than Hinduism, which, by the way, the, the, the wheel of reincarnation, you can never get off of it if such a thing is true. It's not. But they eventually accepted Christianity and they said, if your Jesus can help us, then we will be Christians. Jesus did change their lives. And the last I heard when I went to India about, boy, it's been how long ago? 17, 18 years ago that I was there. Over 20 million Dalits converted from Hinduism to Christianity. Isn't that amazing? You don't ever hear these stories here in America. That's not going to show up on the news. And so I'm friends with a few pastors in India that pastor these poor, poor dirt village um, churches in, in places in India. But they love the Lord. They love the Lord because they know that they have been found 
and brought into the family of God. The Bible says that God is love. And also that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus receives sinners. I love that. If you want to know about Jesus, Jesus receives sinners. He doesn't just occasionally talk to them and move on for a photo op like a politician. He loves hanging out with sinners. And that means that I had a chance to hang out with Jesus and my life would be changed. Let's look at the first of the parables. It's in, begins at verse three. It is the parable of the lost sheep. These are familiar stories in the Bible. Verse three says, so he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, likewise, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Who are those just persons who don't need repentance? It's in a way a dig at the Pharisees who think they don't need repentance. The Bible calls God a shepherd and calls us sheep. Did you know that? Sheep are interesting, but what really stands out, not only is that they are precious to the shepherd, but they're really dumb animals. How's that for a compliment? And that is why sheep get lost. They will just follow the sheep ahead of them off the cliff. Have you done that? If your friend says, let's jump off the roof, will you jump off the roof? I did. When I was five years old, I did jump off the roof of my garage, and I did it a bunch of times, and it was pretty fun. But when we, the sheep, get lost, what does God do? And the thing is, we tend to get lost a lot, even though we're part of the sheepfold. We're part of the family of God. It's not a one time I got lost and God found me and brought me in and I just stayed put. We still are by nature a bit distracted. Are you all listening to me right now? Because as sheep, you're distracted. And so the shepherd is constantly trying to Keep us hearing his voice. You know, sheep know their shepherd's voice. Psalm 100 says, know that the Lord, he is God, and it is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In John 10, Jesus said, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. John 10's great. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I like that about Jesus being the door of the sheep, because at night to protect the sheep, the shepherd would put all the sheep inside an enclosure, a walled enclosure. It would be open at the top. There would be one opening, one doorway where the sheep could go in and out, but there was no gate on it to shut. The shepherd would put all the sheep in there, and then the shepherd would lay across the opening of the sheepfold, the enclosure, and he would literally be the door. And if any wolves or thieves would come, they would have to go through the shepherd. And Jesus would say in John 10 that I'm not a hireling. I I am a true shepherd. In other words, when danger comes, the hired shepherds, well, they just run because they're not going to protect the sheep. They're not going to give their lives to protect the sheep. But Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And he did. He went to the cross. You and I are definitely prone to wandering off. But what I need to remember is how precious I am. Now, the shepherd wouldn't say if one wandered off, he wouldn't say, well, that's okay. I've got 99 more. He would secure the 99 and go find the one lost sheep and bring it back. If it was a really young sheep, a lamb, he would put it on his shoulders and carry it back. I've even heard stories. I don't know if you've heard these stories. Some have wondered if these were true. But recently, somebody just told me that this is a true story, that if a little lamb was prone to wandering off over and over and over and getting into trouble, the shepherd might break the leg of that little lamb and bind it up and then put it on his shoulders. And over the weeks and the long period of carrying that sheep, the little lamb would grow attached to the shepherd. Have you ever heard that story? Isn't that amazing? That the Lord loves you that much to carry you until you get used to his voice. I like hearing the voice of the Lord, but then I want to go do other things. And I just want to tell you, the Lord loves you too much to let you get away with it. You and I are often, we were completely outside the sheepfold. We may have come into the the sheepfold, the family of God, but even when you wander now, the Lord is watching out. I'm always listening for people who show up at church and say, you know, I need to get back in church. I haven't been in church in 10 years or something, but I've always felt like I needed to be back in church. Those are the people that I keep my ear open for. The second parable is the parable of the lost coin. Verse 8, or what woman, having ten coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me. 
for I have found the peace that was lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This picture of the lost coin is uh, when a woman would get married, she would receive a band that she would put on her head that would have 10 coins in it. Valuable coin, precious coins. And if she loses any of those, she doesn't say, well, I've got nine more. That would be like a woman saying, well, a diamond fell out of my ring, but it's okay. I've got three more. Now, all of those diamonds are precious. All of them are precious. A symbol of the wedding. We're going to do a wedding next week. Where are you going, Buck? Just what I was going to talk about you. We have a wedding to do next Saturday. And it's interesting, in our weddings, we, the woman doesn't wear the band on her head with the rings. We wear a wedding ring. And this is a reminder of the covenant of marriage. You know why we need a reminder? Anybody? Because we forget the promises we've made. That's why we wear a ring. Because we make these promises and then we forget that we've made these promises and have to keep them. In both of these parables, God searches for what is lost. None of you are expendable. I've had times in my life where I thought, that was it. That mistake has surely tested the patience of God. That was the one that made God say, I'm just going to let Terry go this time. Have you ever thought that about yourself? We all do. And when we think those kinds of things, you have to know that it just reveals how little you know of the heart of God. You think that way about your pathetic behavior. But God does not think that way. Because you think, well, I was good. That's why God loves me. God never loved you because you were good. Even on your best day, you didn't do enough to earn God's love. So then when you're not so good, his love for you is still the same. It is different from the way we love each other. The lost sheep, the lost coin are precious, are precious. This third parable is one we all know, the parable of the lost son, or we might call the prodigal son. The prodigal son. At verse 11, then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that falls to me. So he divided them to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all, all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Do you know what the word prodigal means? It means lavish. He wasted everything on lavish living. Verse 14, but when he had spent all, 
there arose a severe famine in that land, he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a certain citizen of that country. Now, as I'm reading through, pay attention to the details. Because the details describe what happens to any of us who willfully walk away from the Lord and go out into the world. I'm going to take all that God has blessed me with. I'm going to go and party because my life is pretty good. It's all wasted. And then I become more and more attached to people and things out in the world. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. Do you see the downward progression? You begin eating what the world eats. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is a real picture of repentance. Repentance doesn't look like, hey, dad, I'm back you know, ready to pick up where I left off. I'm back, but there's still no no change of heart. There's no remorse of the heart. There's really no awareness and even admission that he did anything wrong. Because you see, when that younger son said, Father, give me my share, it means it was as, as if he was saying, Father, you're dead to me. But when he comes back, there is remorse. There is brokenness. And while when you get to this place in life, you might feel humiliated, embarrassed even, to come back like this. Let me tell you, this is exactly the lesson the younger son needed to learn. To come back kind of boastful, well, hey, that was fun. The father would say, well, good to see you, son, but apparently you didn't learn the lessons you needed to learn. After all, I could hear the younger son saying, after all, no one's perfect. He realized it was what he had done to sin against heaven. What's amazing here is what we see about the father. In verse 20, it says that the father arose, or he he arose and came to the father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In the Jewish culture, fathers didn't do this. Didn't humble himself like this to a rebellious son. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. That's what God the Father thinks of us when we get into trouble, waste our life, and come back humiliated and broken. So often we focus on the story of the prodigal son. Don't ever do this. It's time to repent and come back to God. This story is mainly not about the son, but about the father. Of course, the son was lost and he came back. You cannot overlook the amazing picture of this father. This father who was looking. Did you get that? He was looking. He saw the son afar off and he ran to him. fell on his neck and kissed him and welcomed him home. He didn't stand at a distance, kind of like, well, what do you have to say for yourself? He just was rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. I'm not going to read the rest, but I want to summarize the rest of this chapter for you. The other ugly part of this story is the reaction of the older son. The older son who is who is angry that the father has so quickly received the younger brother back because he says to his father, look, I've been here the whole time. You didn't throw a party for me. I've been working hard. And Junior comes back. He's wasted all the money you gave him. And you just drop everything and throw a party kill the fatted calf, and everyone's celebrating. The picture of the older brother is more like the Pharisees who are listening to these stories. It's us who are in church all the time, and someone we haven't seen for a few years shows up back at church, and we all go, well, what do you have to say for yourself? Now, there's no whitewashing over excusing behavior and sin and the trouble we get into. And all that has to be dealt with. But God is looking to restore people who have gotten caught up in things out in the world, as we say. He wants them back in the family of God. And one of the first things we want people to know is that God still loves you. Not, you better account for yourself. You see, people already know how guilty they are. Or if they don't, they're really not going to stay. 
because they just stopped to say hi. They never intended to become part of the family again. And those people aren't comfortable sitting at the table with all of you. They still are pulled back out into the world. But hear this, the father says, what the father says to the older son is, son, you've been here the whole time. Anytime, everything I have is yours. At any time you could have asked, and I would have, I would have thrown you a party at any time, but son, you never asked. Doesn't that speak more about us? We're faithful churchgoers, and yet we never ask God or the fuller blessings that he wants to give. I'm here. I'm proud about what a hard worker I am. But this might really, of all of these characters in the story, the prodigal son, the loving father, that's God, that's not you. The older, judgmental, faithful brother who never asks for the blessings of the father that i think describes a lot of christians don't you think you're here churches are full of people that live outside of fellowship with god do you know that they're at the table but never saying father would you just pour out your blessings on me Dad, would you do the very thing you want to do in my life? Dad, I'm working hard, but what do you want for me, Dad? How about today as we close the service? What is it that God wants to do in your life that's actually available to you anytime and you never ask for it? Why don't we ask? Have you ever thought about that? We often blame God and say, well, God would do more in my life whenever he's ready. Some, some things, yes. Other things he's ready and you're not asking. And in those, those blessings that you haven't asked for, why is it? Maybe one, because you're not aware that you need to be asking. But I think a lot of people don't ask because they don't want the accountability that comes with it. To whom much is given, much is required. When God gives you more blessing, there is then more awareness of your place in the family. Your responsibility to contribute it all goes together. But what I love is how patient God is with us. We've had a couple of weeks now of school of ministry on Tuesday nights, 25 people in our class. And what's, what blesses me is how many people are telling me, Terry, I feel like God is pulling me to do something and I'm not sure what it is. I'm just sensing it, and I want to be available and ready for what that is. That is exactly what I want to see. 
you may not know yet the whole plan and how God wants to bless you and work through your lives, but you need to be aware of his drawing, his pulling on your life. And you might suddenly become aware of it. Wow, God's really speaking. Even now you might be saying, wow, God, that really spoke to me. That one spoke to me. And then you're going, okay, this is a little too serious. I hope Terry wraps this up pretty soon. You know, we want to learn a few things, but don't, you know, let's not upset our, our delicate little lives. I have things all worked out. How about if today you just say, Lord, yes. Can you just say yes? Because here's what we know. Your father loves you. And he has good things planned for you. There are things that you want. And while you might be saying, well, I'm not sure if I can follow through and if I'm not going to fall again, I want you to know that even the ability to follow through is a gift from God. Here's news. You don't have the ability to follow through. And I think maybe we've all tested that out. We make a promise and don't keep the promise. What's different is to receive the promise of the Father, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's different. That is God's enabling to do the very thing that He calls you to do.